Let's take our Bibles and let's go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4 this morning for our Bible study. There's a story that's told, a true story of what happened years ago, probably about 30 years ago. There was an island in the Pacific called Novu or Novuru. And this island, all of a sudden, it was one that had only a few thousand individuals who lived in this island. But they all of a sudden found out or discovered here in recent times something that they hadn't expected. It was back in the late 70s that they discovered that there was a whole um, a lot of the minerals, the phosphates that were there that were used in fertilizers in the modern day. And so they decided that what they would do is they would take and invest all their energy and all the, the young men and the ladies and the families and they would now develop this, this new type of mineral and sell it overseas. And it changed their entire island drastically. Within a few years, most everybody was close to being a millionaire. Most every family, I should say. Individuals, they went out and they, went, they were just tearing apart the countryside. And as they, as they were doing this, man, they started, they started getting good monies. They started sending their children off of the island to other areas, especially in Australia, where they were able to get an education that the average rate for a high school student was $50,000 a year. That's a cheap education, right? They built an airport on that island, and they bought four for their own airlines uh, uh, planes so that they could take their people of their community anywhere they wanted without any expense to the world to go vacation. They decided as a group that they would buy into some buildings. They bought one building down in Melbourne, Australia, for $45 million. This skyscraper that they bought, they needed to spend $35 million to get it up to code. They also found that as they were spending money so rapidly that all of a sudden, after a period of time, the phosphate was running out. It wasn't long before they were affected even physically. Instead of their life age span going up, it went down 10, ten years because the people's health all of a sudden became a big issue. The average weight of the young men on the island grew to where they were well over 350 pounds on average. They had this blessing that they thought and all of a sudden, they abused it. Their island became basically dormant. They wiped out a lot of the vegetation. They wiped out a lot of things, including their own lives. The people of Novru, they learned the hard way. That blessings don't guarantee that they'll continue on and on and on. We need to be good stewards of what we're entrusted in. They aren't the only nation that found that out. We're in a section of scriptures where the Jews are, God is trying to teach them this very thing. But boy, are they being stubborn. They're just not learning the lesson. Let me see if we can set the scene for where we've been in a series that we've been preaching some two dozen messages up to this point in this series called the Judges. What happened is Israel had been in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God in His grace brought them out through the miracles, through the plagues of, that came upon Egypt, and they said, get out, leave. And the people were taken out of the land of Egypt by God's miraculous powers, and they went into the wilderness. God was directing them towards a promised land. They went through the Red Sea experience, that miracle that God protecting them or providing for them. But then they balked at Mount Sinai, and when God took them to the very area they were to enter the land, they balked and they didn't go in. And so they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation passed off. But during that time, God provided their food every day, manna from heaven, water from the different sources like rocks and, and rivers that were bittersweet. It even says that the shoes on their feet never wore out in 40-some years. Now that's a pair of shoes you want to get your hands on. They, God blessed them in a marvelous way. And then he brings them into the promised land. 
And he uses Joshua as the new leader to go through and break the backbone of all the Canaanites and get rid of those, those hordes of allies so that they could not resist anymore. They were now spockets, uh, small pockets of groups that they, the Jews could wipe out in their individual territories. But they didn't do it. They all of a sudden took advantage of new alliances and they didn't follow through with what God had told them to do and they didn't get rid of all the idols from Egypt. They hung on to them. And as they're entering into this new era, God realizes that these individuals need a spanking, a God spank. They're, they're just not getting at that. I've given them these blessings, this land, this opportunity, but they're going after other gods, false gods. So the Lord decides to raise up during this period of time 300 years in the book of Judges. These God spanks in the form of other groups, some of the Canaanites allying themselves with one another so that they can come back and try to, try to beat the Israelites. Give them, a, give them a, a discipline, a lesson. And it happened time and again. In fact, there's 12 different series of these times where they're getting these God spanks and when they get to the point where they're beside themselves, they turn to the Lord, they repent, they say, well, get rid of the other gods and God then sends a judge to deliver them. A judge is not the one that's going to pass laws or make laws, but he's more of a military leader, a, a leader that's trying to get the communities to return to the Lord. And they do for a brief period of time. Then they go right back to those false gods and they abuse the blessings that God has given. So you have these cycles, these 12 different cycles. We are coming now where we're in that spot where God is still dealing with them and it's the period of the judges. And now we're getting the last of the judges. His name is Samuel. Samuel is a young boy that grows up in that region and his hero probably that he's heard about is Samson who has beaten the Philistines and has brought some peace almost single-handedly. He took out all the leadership of the Philistines and yet the people haven't come back to a real worship system. Now the worship is corrupt. They have some false gods but they also have some priests that are there, Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they're charging the people exorbitant prices. They're dipping into the meat, into the cauldron that's supposed to be for God's men and be delivered. They're going and dipping in before they're supposed to. They're taking the best part, including the fat, which if you were with us in one of our latest studies before we did the missions conference, that we pointed out fat was not to be eaten by the Jews. It was part of the same level where he says, do not eat the blood, do not eat the fat. That was to be dedicated to God. Now you and I would say, that's great. That's okay. We'd pass it up. But in those days, that was the delicacy. That was the best part of the animal was the greasy fat. And then God said it was for them. But the Hophni and Phinehas and, and Eli, they were taking that portion. I know that most of you are probably thinking right now, wait a minute, it just says Hophni and Phinehas did that. Read the text. That God says to Eli, he says, you have made yourself fat with your sons. That he was involved in it. Samuel is a young boy watching all this happen. God has plans for Samuel to rise up and become the new judge. But he's watching this corruption. He's watching this carnality. He's watching this chaos that's taking place. We come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, an interesting phrase that shows up. He says, the word of God was precious in those days, in some of your translations. Actually, the, word, the idea there is the idea that it was rare. 
That idea of precious isn't that it was, it was so sought after. It's the idea that it wasn't sought after. It was the people didn't hardly go to the Word of God. They didn't hardly hear the Word of God. And God raises up Samuel to be the new prophet, the new spokesman for him, to try to get these people to have revival in their lives. And so he's sent to make change. Yet the Jews aren't listening to Samuel yet. Why is that? Samuel's probably around 20 years old. Maybe 25 when we go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. He's not yet an adult in that society. In that society, do you remember what age it was before they were finally led into the priesthood to work full-time? 30 years of age. 30 years of age is when they were considered an adult to be able to start ministering. And so he's still a young man. He's still not at, his, at that time when they were listening to him. However, the passage in the, this, this context is really important. Go to the end of chapter 3. It says, all Israel, verse, uh, verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did not let, uh, let none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, everything he predicted came to pass. Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. The Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then it says, and the word of, the, of Samuel came to all Israel. But they're not listening to him yet. He's speaking, but he still hasn't reached that, that point. So they know he's a prophet, but they're still listening to Eli. Eli's on the scene. Hophni and Phinehas are still guiding. And it's not until chapter 7 that Samuel becomes the real leader of the nation. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are giving this interlude that he has been prepared to be the leader. God is speaking to him, but the people aren't listening. And as a result, man, did they make some huge mistakes in chapter 4, 5, and 6. Mistakes that we've got to be very, very careful we don't commit. You know, that we don't do the same thing. In fact, it's, it's, I can say we should avoid the mistakes. But what good is that if you don't know what the mistakes were? So what I want to do this morning, and I want to develop even more. Chapter, chapter 5 and 6 are phenomenal lessons on the grace of God even in this terror. But let's, let's focus a lot on chapter 4 this morning. And let's do this. Let's notice the mistakes that the people made. Even though they have the spokesman of God there, even though they have Samuel there, what are they hanging on to? What are they doing that causes them such grief and heart, heartache and hardship before they'll listen to Samuel? In other words, they should have listened to Samuel right away. But they were still stubborn. What was their stubborn mistakes? There's three of them. Three of them in the text that we need to avoid. Man, we, we need to run like a plague from. Number one is this. They were spiritually insensitive. Or you will put it in the negative. I would put they were not spiritually sensitive to the Lord. I want you to see what I mean by that. Go to chapter 4 again and watch what happens, the historical story. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. The Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined in the battle or went to battle against each other, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they, the Philistines, slew of the army of the Israelites in the field 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel, they said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Stop there. Watch and just follow with me with this frame of thought where we want to go with this. Is I had already mentioned Samson had lived just a, a little bit earlier than this. He had led them to break the back of the Philistines, but the Philistines now have reasserted themselves. They're in power. They're in control. The Jews want to break that power, get rid of them. They're, by the way, the Philistines are basically from Greece. 
They've come down into the area of Egypt. They got repelled by Egypt. They came up into the coast of Palestine and they're starting to move in and they are making inroads into the Jewish territory and the Canaanite territory. They are, they're a common enemy against all those people living in the Middle East. And they're, they're now having uh, established themselves to the point that they've been there a few decades and they're causing a problem. But the Jews think we're strong enough, we can get rid of them. So they go to battle against them, which is good, no problem. They had been told to get rid of these people out of the land, but they hadn't done it. And they let these people get their, get their foothold into the territory. And now they're going to get rid of them. They go to battle, they lose 4,000 men, which is a pretty good number of people to lose in battle. We didn't quite lose that many on you know, 9-11 and it upset our nation. And so they're upset. They want to take it. Here's the part that throws me. Is in verse 3, they go, why did God do this to us? Why did God not go out and fight for us? In other words, the Lord has smitten us. What's wrong with God? Why didn't God do better on our part? Why didn't God perform for us the way we thought he should perform? And instead of examining themselves, they're blaming God. They're looking at him in anger. They're looking at him in distrust. They didn't even seek him out ahead of time. Should we go to battle or shouldn't we go to battle? They got a prophet of God. The verses right before said Samuel's there. What he says is good. He's God. He can give them message. There's no indication they even asked about going to battle at this moment. They just go to battle. And they go out there and they get their, their themselves whipped. Several words will come to my mind trying to figure out how to say it. They just got whooped really good. But instead of examining themselves, which they should have done, go to chapter 7 and look. Just a few years after this, Samuel, when they do come to him and say, what should we do? He says this to them. Chapter 7, verse 3, Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, which they hadn't done up to this point. They hadn't done it in chapter 4. If they had come and said, Samuel, what do we do to get rid of the Philistines? He would have told them this. If you repent, return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And then he will deliver you out of the land of the Philistines. By the way, can I give you a clue? Just open up a little bit of a preview. Chapter 7, they do that and God gives them the victory. Chapter 4, they aren't even, even thinking about clean house. They're just, let's go to war. Let's get rid of the Philistines. They get beat and they say, God, it's your fault we lost. And the message is real clear. You lost because you had things in your life. You weren't right with me. I wasn't fighting on your side like I would later on, like I would with David against the Philistines, like I would with the armies of Israel under David's leadership when they had clean lives. Guys, you weren't being sensitive to me. You were insensitive. You were right away assuming I would be doing whatever I'm, what I'm, what I promised you, even though you had hearts filled with other gods and other sin in your life. You know, their response to trouble? They blame God. When we face the troubles, we need to stop and first of all examine our own hearts. Is the problem that we face God's fault? Or is it something we need to change? Uh, let's make an observation from Scripture. Not all problems we face are because we're doing something wrong. Not every time is it a result of some personal sin that you and I have done. There are occasions 
that God allows a trouble to come into our life, like Paul going to jail, so that he could witness. It was a good reason. God was using the trial to help him to be able to witness. We know that in 2 Corinthians, he writes and he says, a lot of the trials that come to us are so that we can minister to other people who have similar trials. So not every problem, not every difficulty we face is because we've done something wrong. There are times where they come to mature us, and we're supposed to count it all blessings. Yea, we're supposed to be, be looking to see how we can mature ourselves through that. We're to be building up our hope and our faith according to Romans 5. But on the flip side, there is this reality. The reality is there are times when troubles come because there is something wrong in our lives. There is something that needs to change and God is trying to get our attention or God is giving us correction. We read in scriptures that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he goes on to say, he says, if you're not being chastened, it's because you are not his child. Whom he loves, he chastens when we do wrong. We read in scriptures that we're not supposed to be deceived. For whatever we man sows, that will also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. This idea that we will have troubles if we are putting garbage into our life. There is the fact that he says we need to examine ourselves. And I remind you that this text, 1 Corinthians 11, comes from the communion passage. Where he says, when you come together and celebrate communion, examine yourself. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And then he goes on, he says, because of this, some who haven't judged themselves, that's why some of you are sick and some have died because they've come to communion with the wrong heart. It's not that something's wrong with God, it's something wrong with the individuals who come before him. We read in 2 Corinthians, Paul saying, you know, some of the trials that came into my life, they came because I had pride. And God wanted to get rid of that pride in my life. And so the lest I be exalted above measure, and he says that twice, because of my pride that I am getting revelations and dreams and visions from God, that God knows that, I, that sometimes I get a little bit haughty about that, that, you know, here I am, I'm the preacher, I've got the truth. God allowed a trial in my flesh to come and buffet me, that I besought God to take away, but he said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'm allowing this sore in your side, this spiritual sore, so that you would have a humble spirit and not be exalted in your pride. So when trials come, they are not always because we've done something wrong or there's something wrong in our life, but they might be there for that reason. Therefore, the first reaction that you and I should have when trials come, when troubles come, when things don't go the way we want them to go is self-examination. Not, where are you, God? What's wrong with you, God? But Lord, is there something wrong with me? That is a wise, healthy response to the Spirit of God. That we say, God, please check me out. Mike and Alicia get back to Georgia. Just a couple, you know, a uh, week ago Friday, they flew out and they get back there. They, they get back late in the day and their, their landlord, who's this couple that they showed you pictures of a couple Sundays ago, they're waiting in the courtyard for them because they've missed them now. And they, this is the landlord that insists they aren't going to move. And he's, you know, insisting they're going to stay living with that, in that same place that Mikey keeps telling him, we're moving, we're moving. And he keeps saying, no, you're not, no, you're not. And so the landlord really has attached to him. So when they get home, the landlord and his wife are waiting outside for him. They greet one another, but they notice that he's not moving one of his arms when he greets them. And then they, on closer inspection, because it's dusk out, they notice that part of his face is drooping. He's got a problem with an eyelid. They look at him and they say, are you okay? He says, yeah, just something, I don't know what happened. You guys know what happened, right? 
Yeah, you're all thinking the same thing that Mike and Alicia said. Micah says, you need to go to a doctor. No, no, I don't need to go to a doctor. You probably had a stroke. No, old people get that. Yeah. By the way, he's, he's by definition with me. He's old people, okay. But he doesn't want to admit part of being the old people. Now, you and I look at that and go, the guy needs to get to the hospital. He said, okay, I'll go on Monday. This is Friday. He's going to go on Monday. Now, what do you think about that? Is that wise? No, not at all. You're, you're sitting there going, boy, that's, that's a dumb move. That's going to cause some serious problems. He should have gone to the hospital and got examined. Yeah. Is it any dumber? Are we any wiser? When the Spirit of God speaks to us and allows trials or troubles come in our life, we just go, oh, I'll worry about it later. I'll get an exam next week. Uh, I'm okay. And we deny even getting ourselves spiritually checked out. Are we any wiser? When some difficulty, some trouble, the Jews were not. Their immediate response to any kind of trouble was something's wrong with God. Something's wrong with him. It wasn't, let me examine myself. You and I need to avoid that, uh, that mistake of bees becoming spiritually insensitive and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. It's not me. And before the Lord to say, do I have the right attitude? Am I pompous? Am I proud? Do I have an issue with somebody else that I have not reconciled? Is it because I've not been obedient to an area? And be really spiritually sensitive to the Lord. To let him examine when we run into a spiritual stroke. There's another mistake that these people made. Number two is this. They were not solely reliant upon the Lord. They were not solely to rely. This is an amazing text. The story is profound of what they do. Look at the next verse. The next verse, the next thing that happens, they got beat, they got drubbed in the battle, and they say, God, it's your fault. We have a response. We know what we can do. Verse 3, they talk like the people around here from the Pennsylvania Dutch. Let us fetch. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. And so they want to do this, that they say, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to do a second battle. We can beat these guys. Our problem was we didn't have the right weapon with us. We need to take the ark with us. Most of you. Most of you know what I'm talking about. I am not talking about Noah's Ark and dragging that through the battlefield. Okay, that's not the Ark we're talking about. For the sake of those who don't, let me remind you that at this time in their, in their era, they have a tabernacle. They don't have a temple. They have, in this era of time, they have a tabernacle. They don't get the temple until Solomon is building it. But they have a tabernacle, and it's located at Shiloh. That tabernacle is the same one that they built in the wilderness wanderings they've had now for 340 years that they are using as their temple, like their temple. It is their worship center. In that tabernacle, you have an area that's corridored off by this, by this 
you know, fabric wall. And inside is this tented area. Inside that tented area, the priest can go into the front part. But in the very back part of the tented area, it is called the Holy of Holies. Only one person can enter that one time a year. It is the high priest. Inside that room, that Holy of Holies, is the most precious piece of furniture that they have. It is called the Ark of the Covenant. It is what Indiana Jones went looking for, okay? And others, those movies and characters. It is, a, it is a really important piece of temple furniture for them. Inside this Ark of the Covenant were several different relics that were very important to Jewish history. Do you remember what they had in there? They had the two tablets that contained the Ten Commandments. They had a pot of manna, not a pot of gold, that's Irish. Okay, they had a pot of manna, and then they had Aaron's rod that budded. Okay, those were the items that were there. And these were relics that were very important. Do you, nobody was supposed to open this up. Nobody was supposed to be fooling with this. This was, In fact, they weren't supposed to even touch it. Okay, When the priests carried it, they had to put these posts through these rings that were attached, and they would pick it up so they're not touching the ark. And there was only one group of priests that were able to pick this up. They were the Kohathites, who were from one area that were descendants of, of, of Aaron. That's the only clan of Aaron's descendants that were supposed to even be near this thing. That's important what happens next Okay, in a few minutes. But this whole idea is this is the spot where these angels would come up over the ark. This is where the Shekinah glory would be centered when he would appear in that pillar of fire and come and speak to them, that cloud, that pillar of fire. And so it's an important relic in their mind. They decide that what they're going to do, they're going to take it into battle. We're going to go into that holy of holies, which is taboo number one, that they all go in and take it out. So they're going to take it, and they're going to take it to the battlefield. Now, you've got to ask yourself a question, why did they do that? Was there ever precedent to going into warfare with this Ark of the Covenant? And the answer is yes. It did happen earlier. It did happen when they first came into the promised land that the ark was used uh, when, they, when they came into the land that they circled Jericho. There was multiple days, multiple times that the ark of the covenant was carried. And then the other weapons that they used were the trumpets. And then they yelled and the walls came a falling down. So from their perspective, this had military prowess all, all inscribed in it some way. By the way, this ark was also used when they came into the land and they wanted to split the river uh, Jordan. The ark went ahead of them and the river split. The first time at the Red Sea, it was Moses' rod that he held out. Now it's the ark of the covenant. So they, in their superstitious thinking, remember, they're blending religion. They're blending false gods with this god. And so this relic has some supernatural powers to it that wherever it goes, God is going with us. They subscribe that this is God in the presence. This is his, his tank of that day. This is his bazooka he could use. This is his atomic weapon that he would use. So they're going to take it to battle. They go to battle and then they, in this battle, oh, and by the way, I should, I need to pause and remind you, both the times in the past that I mentioned that they were to take the ark and use it to go ahead into the, into the promised land and to circle Jericho, both times something happened before then. God had told them to take it and the people had to spend several days fasting and praying and examining their hearts. Both those cases, read them and you'll see. This time they don't do that. This time they say, let's take the ark, let's head into the battlefield, and they're doing it very hastily. There is no fasting, there is no praying. 
They haven't been told by God to do this. They have Samuel there, but this is their idea. And so they're going to go and take this ark into the battlefield thinking that it's going to give victory. By the way, they're not the only ones that think it's going to work. Read the text. This is, this is giving you background information that's, that's really cool. It says, verse 4, The people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwells between the cherubims. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. They approved. They said, let's take it. Verse 5, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, so the earth rang again. We won. We've got the Ark. When the Philistines, on the other side of the valley, heard the noise of the shout, they'd go, what, what, what's that noise? They understood that the Ark of the Lord was come into the camp. Watch verse 7 and 8. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp of the enemy. Woe unto us, there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? Plural. That's coming from their perception. But look what they remember. These are the gods that smote who? The Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. We're going to get beat. We might, get, we might get the boils. We might get the frogs. We might get the locusts. We're in big trouble. And their leaders say, verse 9, Be strong, quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves, or in other words, come on, you know, suck it up. Let's, let's be men here. Let's go out and fight. But they thought they were going to lose. They were as superstitious about this ark as the Jews were. And they, they attribute it to not God, they attribute it to God's plural. And so in that mindset, in that day, understand where they're coming from. They're thinking if you have some relic, some religious relic with you, now you've got God's blessings. And that was very unique to that day, and nobody does that today. No, no, that's not true. This is how they operated. And what's the shame of it is Hophni and Phinehas are part of this. And they're the spiritual leaders of the nation. That shows you where the priests were. That shows you how bad it was. But they're all trusting in some object. They're trusting in this deed without direction from God. Okay? They're, they're becoming superstitious. They're putting a substitute before being right with God. They're putting something, something that they do, and they're going into battle. And they're going to just, all of a sudden, we're going to win. They're not the only religion that did that or does that. There are religious groups today that still wear different amulets. That if we wear this, we're going to be blessed. If we wear this, you know, if we drive with this, this statue or this medallion on our car, we'll never get lost. Tell that to your GPS, okay? <laughs> if we wear these certain types of underwear, there are religious groups who teach this. If we wear the temple underwear, God will, will bless our lives. You know who I'm referring to? Mormon church, yes. Okay. That, um, so there, there's different groups that have this idea, these trinkets. that they got, And you and I look and go, are you kidding me? If all it took for me to have financial blessings, good health, no problems, was to wear a certain necklace, I'd get it. And I'd sell it to you. Okay. And we would, we would, all of us would get that. Yes? No? Yeah, if it says that if we, if we do a certain deed, then okay, then everything in our life is right and we can just go and live like we want to live and everything's okay. That's what the Jews were doing. They were saying, as long as this ark is here, we're great, we're fine, nothing can help us, doesn't make any difference what our life is like. 
Doesn't make any difference if we're not worshiping God the way we should. As long as we have this ark, we're going to win. That's their thought. That's what they have in their mind. By the way, before we cast too many stones at them and say, dummies, 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 do we ever do this? Do we ever say, it's not about my walk with the Lord, I'm just going to substitute something else? My baptism. I go to church. I carry a Bible. I wear the right clothing. I listen to the right music. Therefore, God's got to bless me. It doesn't make any difference what my heart is like. It doesn't make any difference if I don't even pray to him or don't even walk with him on a daily basis. As long as I'm doing the things on the outside, he's got to bless me. Really? As long as I put my kids in a Christian school, as long as I go to a Christian school, I'm going to have all the blessings of God and it doesn't make any difference what I think, what I say, how I act, how I treat others. Really? Really? These individuals started substituting a relationship and a fellowship with God. They started putting things in its place. Is that what you gave this morning? Did you put money in the plate as a substitute for really walking with the Lord this week? Did you show up this morning as a substitute with an idea that As long as I'm here physically, my mind is not engaged, and my spirit's not engaged, but I just showed up, therefore God's got to bless me and my family this week. Really? What's the difference between you and them? These individuals, they take the ark, they go into battle. The Philistines are scared of them. They think they're going to lose. But watch the text. It says in verse verse 10, the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten. Verse 10, they fled every man into his own tent, and there was a very great slaughter. And then the last time they lost 4,000. How many did they lose this time? 30,000 men. And worst of all, it says the ark of the Lord was taken. Oh, and on top of that, two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the leadership, they're slain. And there runs a man of Benjamin out of the army and comes to Shiloh the same day and his clothes are rent and he's going to tell the news and he's, he's just, you know, he's in sackcloth and ashes, if you would. He's brokenhearted. And when he comes to Eli, the great high priest, the father of Hophni and Phinehas, who is sitting by the wayside watching, his heart was troubled for the ark of the Lord. When the man came into the city and told it, the city is crying out and Eli heard the noise and says, hey, what, what's the noise? The man comes to him hastily and says, Eli, and go ahead and tell him news. You say, well, why doesn't Eli see what's going on? Verse 15, Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were dim. He could not see. So the man comes and says, all the noise you hear, all the weeping and wailing, I am he that came out of the army. I fled to, today out of the army. Well, what's happened? What's happened? The messenger says, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been a great slaughter also among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he had mentioned the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck broke, and he died. For he is an old man and heavy. He had judged for, to- for 40 years. What a terrible scene. What an awful scene. Israel's in real trouble. Why did it happen? Why does all this happen? Because they became spiritually insensitive. They weren't examining their own heart. Because they were substituting something rather than fellowship and walking with the Lord. Should I show you the third mistake that they make? The third mistake is this. They become spiritually careless. They don't change. It gets worse. The story just keeps on going downhill. It's like a toboggan that's out of control. And they don't stop it. Their carelessness is seen in the next few verses. 
Before I read them, let me tell you about a story by named Bobby Leach, early 1900s. He's one of the first guys who went over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Now, it, it wasn't the type of a wooden barrel, something that you would just grab out of your backyard or a 50-gallon drum and ride over Niagara Falls. He'd die. He had a barrel that he prepared. He had it, you know, lined inside, and he went over, and he was the first man to do it that survived. He was a world sensation. That this man was able to survive going over Niagara Falls in his barrel. Now, a few years later, I think it's three years later, he's down in Australia doing a world tour because he's famous, and he's going down the street there in Australia, and as he's just kind of skipping along, they said, he was, you know, not watching what he's doing, he slipped on the banana peel, for real. He slips on the banana peel, he falls and breaks his leg. Because the break was so radical when they took him to the hospital, he didn't survive the broken leg. Because of the treatment afterwards, infection, things like that, he died of a broken leg slipping on a banana peel. But he went over Niagara Falls. But he slipped on a banana peel. He got careless. He was all prepared for the big thing, but then he got careless. The Jews get careless. They get careless when it comes to dealing with spiritual things. They're like so many people that visit Grand Canyon. How many of you have seen it? You ever go there? Okay. Okay, you've been there. You know that it's just awesome. It's amazing. Okay, that you go down to the Grand Canyon and you can do the different things. Like, you, If you're like Maury Albertson, you can go down the river you know, dozens of times in your 80s. It's amazing, Maury. I'm just amazed. But, you, but there's people, 700 people have died you know, in the last 100 years there. Most of them because of airplane crashes. Take the hint. Okay, some because of flash floods. But there's a large number that have died because goofing off. Becoming careless. Like the guy just, I think it's 13 years ago. This guy is 38 years old. He's portraying to his daughter how, oops, 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 oops. And he, he jumped to a lower ledge. But he acted like he had fallen. Oh, the girl, the teenage girl is just screaming and yelling. And the wife is going bananas too. And as they're yelling, the man says, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Until he slipped. And he's not so fine anymore. People are careless and they're not cautious. That's Israel. That's Israel just saying, oh, everything's okay. And they're getting careless. What happens to them is this. Is that the ark is taken away. And then the story, chapter 5 and 6. And tonight we've got to expand. It is a phenomenal story. Why does he tell about the ark and t- give us so much detail of what happens when the Philistines capture it? It is, it is amazing. I think the lessons are amazing. We'll share with you tonight. But let me just give you a, a wrap-up. The, the Philistines take the ark. They have captured God. Their God has beaten God. And they capture it and they take it to their cities. And they hold it for seven months, we read in chapter 6. That they have it for seven months. But they're having problems. They're suffering the plagues like Egypt did. And they say, we've got to get rid of the ark. So they have a plan to send the ark back to the Jews. And the Jews see the ark coming. And when they see the ark that's, being, that's coming, and this time it's not being carried... The Philistines didn't know all, this, all the, the specifics. They're having it being pulled by two young cows. They bring, that, they bring it all the way back to Jewish territory nearby. And when the people of Beth Shemesh see the ark, they are so excited that they run up to the ark, they grab the ark. The Philistines who have been following a ways off, they turn around and go home. And the, the uh, Jews are all excited. They take the two cows that have been leading, they are pulling the ark on the cart, and they slaughter those two cows in sacrifice to God, right there, right in the field. They're so excited. Problem is, 
This is a minor problem. But when you make a sacrifice of Thanksgiving, you don't use two female cows. You're supposed to only use males, the male cattle. And so these people just, but in their enthusiasm, they're so excited, they just did it, and most of us would say it's not a big deal. But it was careless. It was careless. They weren't following what they should have known. You say, well, maybe they didn't know. The people who are there at Beth Shemesh are Levites. It's a Levitical city. They are descendants of Aaron. They, of all people, should know better. Okay? But they, but they you know, slaughter the cow, and then they do something that's really, really dumb. They go up to the ark, and they open it up. They want to see what's inside. Oh, it, they're, they're enthused. Yeah, this is exciting. I want to see what's inside. I want to, I want to know, you know, what's going on. And, yeah. Hey, let me pause for a second. Let me, let me see if I can give you the moral, a moral here. We know that there's sayings from around the world that have, there's sayings that teach us something. Like, like this one, okay? The skunk doesn't smell its own stink, Okay? What's that mean? The people who use this phrase has the idea people who insist on something's wrong, they don't even realize they're wrong. Okay? That they just, you know, it just, they're so insistent. You got this one. Isn't this a cool one? Right before lunch? Somebody says to you, live like a maggot in bacon. What do they mean by that? What's that? Enjoy life. You know, you know live high. We would say live high on the no, that's not much better, okay? You're still dealing with the pig, okay? But it's that idea of live it up. Live luxuriously. Here's one. A nice fig may be full of worms. What's, what's their proverb? What are they trying to get at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, don't judge by the outward appearance only, okay? Don't, don't first impressions. Be careful. Here, here's one that comes. There's no cow on the ice. So, okay... What does that mean? There's no cow on the ice. You know, smart cow. That's what I'm thinking. It has the idea that this, the Swedish proverb has the idea there's nothing to worry about. None of your cattle are out on the ice. You know, it's all great. Okay. okay. The pillow is your best advisor. This one I like. Sleep on it. Yeah, sleep on it. If you got a problem, sleep on it. Don't make the decision today. Sleep on it. Is there wisdom in that? Yeah, nudge the person next to you who's sleeping on it and say, hey, this is, this is for you. <laughs> Slippery ground does not recognize a king. Any idea what he means? Anybody can have problems, you know, just because you're at a different stage of life or different status, status in society doesn't mean you're immune from difficulties. Um, this one I th- found very interesting. When elephants fight, it's the grass that gets hurt the most. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Okay? What they're talking about is when the chiefs and the chieftains go to war, who suffers the most? The little guy. The little guy. Yeah. It's that idea that the little guy is the one that has to do the fighting, actually, and they suffer the most. We have this one. Curiosity... What, what's, the, what's the idea? Some of you are getting it now. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay. The whole idea is, 
Yeah, be, be careful, people. Be careful. You know, curiosity can get into trouble. Curiosity kills the, kills the Jews. Okay, in Beshemesh. They open this ark because they are so curious. Is everything there? Is this really the ark? You know, we've never seen inside. Does that ever happen that believers get curious about stuff and dabble where they shouldn't? Does that ever happen to any of us? That we are tempted by curiosity. Is it really that bad? You know, is it really that bad to you know, do this or do that? You know, the people get, get involved with drinking, you know, and they, the drunkard aspect. It started with curiosity. Get started at the very beginning. Some of us were so foolish to start habits. So we were, we were cool. We were macho. You know, and I was so curious. What did it, ta- what did it feel like to be a smoker? Yeah. Curiosity. I'm in third grade and I'm curious. So we made our own cigarettes. Yeah. We took the leaves from behind the garage, crunched them up, wrapped them up in paper, had this big stogie like piece of paper. And we were kids. See, this was, we're, we're big stuff. We lit that paper, went, and it wasn't the smoke that got us, it was the flames that took everything off the face. Yeah. Curiosity burned our faces. Okay. Here it is, the Jews. They're, they're opening the ark. Watch the story. Watch the story. It, it goes on. It says, we've got to jump all the way to uh, chapter, chapter, the end of chapter 6. It says in verse 19, He smote the men of Beth Shemesh. We're in chapter 6, verse 19. He smote the men of Beth, Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. There, pause there. The city of Beth Shemesh, this is a Levitical town. These are the teachers. They should know the rules. They should know that they're not supposed to, to touch it, much less look inside of it. And the text goes on and it says, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, even he smote of the people. This is the Jews who were upset when they lost 4,000, who were devastated when they lost 30,000. And according to this manuscript, it says they lost 50,070 men. Now, there's a debate in some of your Bibles that say it was much less than that. I'm going by this manuscript. I don't you know, not change figures. They smote the 50,070 men, and the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. There's a lot of people that died because curiosity killed the Jews. They got careless. They knew better, but they got careless. They were told... To not even touch it, but they got careless. We're the exception to the rule, whatever it is, they're chastised by the Lord. This is devastating. This is absolutely devastating. They've lost, they've lost their priest. They've lost the ark. The ark comes back, and when it comes back, a whole bunch of people, tens of thousands of our people, more are killed by disobeying God than were killed in the Philistine battle. No wonder it says the people feared and said, we've got to get rid of this ark. We're afraid of it. And only in chapter 7 do they get their hearts right with saying, we've got to stop being so careless. Samuel, tell us what to do. And finally, in chapter 7, they're paying attention. Teach us. Guide us. We're ready to listen now. But it took a lot of people's lives before they would listen. It was a lot of devastation. It's a horrible time. Now, why does the writer put these stories in this text? Why does he do it? Well, he's trying to tell us history. There's no doubt about that. He wants us to know what happened and explain why things happened the way they did. 
But he wants us to make wise decisions, to avoid the mistakes that they made. He wants us to learn that what we need to do is beware of becoming spiritually insensitive. When difficulties come, respond by being open and compliant with the Lord to say, God, is it me? Examine me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. There's another lesson he's warning. He's saying, do not rely upon trinkets or upon some action that we take. Make sure you have a fellowship with God, that you are walking with him, one, that you're born again, and that you're on your way to heaven because you put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not something that you did, like baptism or go to church or light some candles or wear some holy underwear or whatever you think. Rather, put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by him. Then he's saying in this text, make sure you are walking a daily walk with the Lord. Okay, I've got a relation with him. But now what I need to do is walk with him and make sure I'm right with him and rely upon him day in and day out. That third mistake we got to be careful of, don't become spiritually careless. Don't let curiosity lead you to get involved with something that you say, well, I can handle it. Satan is so clever in making us think that things of this world are not dangerous. They are. There is, a, there is a real danger, and that's why God says to us, prove whether these things are acceptable unto the Lord. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Examine things. Look at things. Be very, very careful. Listen to the warning of the text. Don't, don't. There's a guy in New York, Long Island, several years ago. The individual was one of those individuals that liked science, but he never had enough money to be able to buy what he thought would be the, one of these really, really you know, elaborate barometers so he could watch the, uh, the weather that's coming in. He didn't have Weather Channel. This is, we're, we're pre-Weather Channel, Okay. So he wants to buy this barometer. He goes out and he saves money and he buys the most expensive barometer he can. He brings it to his home and it's there. And after a couple of days, the needle sticks on a hurricane. He is so upset that he pounds on it. I mean, it's beautiful outside. He's so upset, he takes it back to the store. And they say, well, we can't take it back. You bought it. You've had it for a few days. We don't know what you did with it. He is so angry. He puts it there and he's fuming and he's carrying on about it. And he leaves for several days. And when he comes back, there's no house. There's not even a barometer. The hurricane showed up. The reason it was stuck on hurricane is it was coming. He, he didn't believe the warning. That is probably the way some of you are sitting and listening to me right now. You are probably thinking that I'm just blowing smoke. And I'm just flapping my gums. And I'm just wasting your time by saying, don't be careless. Don't be indifferent or insensitive. That's danger if we don't listen. I'm teaching the Word of God that clearly says that you and I need to be careful. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he... Watch out. Watch out. Which one of these, these different areas do you need to be careful of that we've mentioned this morning? You know, bottom line is we need to come before the Lord right now. We need to sing to the Lord in prayer. We sang before, speak, O Lord. 
Speak to my heart. He's spoken. Now we need to sing to him in prayer and say, God, examine my heart. Examine my spirit. Examine what I'm doing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Join me as we sing before the Lord in sincerity of God. Search me out. Examine. See if there be something wrong with me.